0: Chapter 1, we're going to just be in verses 4 through 8 this morning, and the title of my message is, is We Need Power. Uh, It's We Need Power, and Acts chapter 1, the book of Acts, it's all about the outpouring of the Spirit. Some people have called it the Acts of the Holy Spirit, uh, just because you see the Holy Spirit moving and working in the early church. Uh, It covers the birth of the church, it covers the growth of the church, it covers the expansion of the church, it covers um, some of the problems in the early church, but you see that um, when you read the book of Acts, it's hard to read it without really being impacted by it, because it's so powerful, and I think sometimes we can look at it and we're like, man, like, I want that, like, I want that power, and it's so awesome, because what we're going to see this morning is we're going to see that God wants us to have that power, too, it's not just something that was reserved for the apostles and for the disciples. God wants all of us to live that spirit-filled, spirit-empowered life. In fact, Jesus, as he was getting ready to leave, as he was getting ready to depart, he kept pointing towards that. He kept pointing pointing towards when the Holy Spirit was going to come and fall upon the church. He kept pointing towards that. So the title of my message this morning, Meaning Power, and the reason why is because the Great Commission, which is given to each and every person, each and every disciple, that calling to go and to make disciples of all nations, the Great Commission, listen, it requires a great equipping. It requires a great equipping, and there is a need for that power, that power of the Holy Spirit to be able to be used by the Lord. And to be able to have an impact wherever he places us. And so as we get started, um, go ahead and follow along with me in verse 4. This is Jesus now. He's getting ready to uh, leave. He's getting ready to depart. And like I said, next week we'll do a full walkthrough of chapter 1 and then chapter 2. Just kind of chapter by chapter. But we see in verse 4, Jesus says this. He says, and being assembled together with them. And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, listen, and the end of the earth. And so in verse four, it says that he was assembled together with his disciples and they were getting ready. Jesus was getting ready to depart shortly after he would be received up into glory. And then he would say an angel would appear to the disciples and say, don't be afraid. Don't worry. Like in the same way you saw him go, he's coming back. He's going to be coming back. And right as he's getting ready to leave, he tells the disciples, he says, "In being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. He commanded them to stay put stay where they were at now this was about 40 days after the resurrection Jesus had rose he was 40 days he was going and sharing and preaching the kingdom of the God to different people he was healing in fact uh, the apostle John said that that all the libraries in the world couldn't contain all of the things that he did and said during those 40 days just an amazing time and as he's now getting ready to leave listen we're going to look at three things about the need for power, about, about needing power. We're going to look at the need for power, we're going to look at the promise of power, and we're going to look at the purpose of power. Now, those three things, and we see first the need for power. We see that it says that being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart Jerusalem. And I want you to just think about this. The last words of Jesus that he said to his disciples was a command. He didn't suggest that they stay at Jerusalem. He commanded them to wait. And this shows something very, very important that I think all of us oftentimes we can struggle with, and it shows the need for obedience. And obedience never stops being important for a follower of Christ. And obedience is everything. It's everything. You know, I think a lot of times we, we think of Jesus when we call Jesus the Lord Jesus Christ, we think it's his first, middle, and last name, but really, Lord, it's his title, It's master. When we talk about the lordship of Christ, it means, hey, we're not just obeying him doing one thing. We're bringing ourselves under his authority. We're bringing ourselves under his lordship and saying, Lord, you're you're my lord. You're my master. I'm your servant. I'm here to do whatever you want me to do, Lord. I just want to obey you. And when we do that, we see God move in powerful ways in our lives. And often we struggle with obedience. We wrestle with obedience. And I want to just encourage you this morning, when we wrestle with obedience, there's a danger. Because wrestling with obedience will often turn very quickly into disobedience. And there's things that God is calling you to do. There's things that God has put on your heart. There's things that God is stirring you up to do. There's things that God is speaking to you to do. And oftentimes we wrestle with them and we struggle with them. And we're like, well, Lord, okay, just give me another week. Just give me another year here, Lord. Just give me another month. And we can struggle and we can wrestle with those things. But it's important, listen, wrestling with obedience often turns into disobedience. And the reason why is there's usually a window to obey that God will give us. A good example is the children of Israel. When they, God brought them right to the promised land, they sent in the 12 spies. And the thing that blows me away, these 12 spies go into the land. They walk it out, and they come back. And two of them, Joshua and Caleb, they were like, nah, we're, pack your bags. Like, let's go up now. Like, don't sleep. Don't relax. Don't wait. Like, let's go ASAP. This, is, this land is amazing god's going to give us victory they brought back the fruits of that land all the people got to see what was in there the blessings that were in there the report everything matched up exactly how god promised the blessing that was there man the the land of milk and honey and they, they they came back and they said hey it's exactly how god promised is how it is and i love that about the promises of god there's a Quote by D.L. Moody that says that God never makes a promise that's too good to keep. And the promises of God, listen, they are yes and they are amen. The promises of God are yes and amen. The promises of God are amazing because when you enter into that promised land, you find that it is exactly how God said it would be. And I think it's hard because so many times we can spend a lot of our lives waiting and chasing the promises of God and we never see them fulfilled in our lives and we wonder why well, God why didn't you do what you asked and usually it comes down to obedience everything boils down to obedience all the children of Israel had to do was obey God when he said hey go into the land that's all they had to do but they looked at the land and they saw that there was fortified cities and there was giants and there was all these things. And they were like, no, there's no way we can go in. You know, we're going to die. <laughs> Lord, we're going to die. In fact, they were ready to go back to slavery. Think about that. They were so discouraged. They were ready to go back to the land of Egypt, back into the slavery. They were actually looking for, they were taking candidates. Hey, who's, who, who can lead us back there? The new, <laughs> a new job opening. Who can lead us back into slavery? Can you imagine that? And so Moses, Joshua, Caleb, Aaron, they pleaded with the children of Israel. They were like, look, man, you just got, you got, don't disobey the Lord on this one. And they were so disheartened. They didn't want to fight the battles. They didn't want to go into the promised land. And it's interesting because God spoke to Moses after that. And he said, Moses, he said, listen, he said, they're not going to go into the promised land now. He said, they're going to go into the wilderness for 40 years until that generation is wiped out their kids who they were worried were going to get destroyed, they're going to go into the promised land, but they're going to miss out. This generation's going to miss out. Moses came back and he told the children of Israel, he said, hey, you know what? Like, You guys got your wish? You know, you didn't want to obey? No worries. God said, now you're going to go into the wilderness for 40 years until your generation is is wiped out because you didn't want to believe and trust in God. And the saddest part is, is the children of Israel began to weep. They realized what they were missing out on. They realized that disobedience, and we're going to see right now, oftentimes the enemy will have us think that disobedience uh, doesn't have an effect on us, but they found out very quickly that when they disobeyed God, it wasn't what they thought it was going to be like. The Bible says that they wept, and in fact, the next morning they came up to Moses and they're like, hey, we've changed our mind, we're ready to go now. We're, tell the Lord, we're ready to go into the promised land now. And Moses told him, he said, no, he said, that's not how it works. He said, God's not going to go with you. He said, don't go try and fight the enemy and take the land. He said, God's not with you on this one. Sure enough, they're like, no, we're going to go take the land. They try and go into the land, and what happens? They get beat back. God wasn't with them. And I think many times we... When we struggle with obedience, we miss that window and it's too late. And many of us have been there where we're like, man, you felt God was telling you to do something and you waited a little too long. And then now you're at a place where you're like, man, it's just not the same. Like, I'm ready to obey God now, but it's not the same. It doesn't feel the same as it did. We can wrestle with obedience. But listen, there is a direct link between obeying God and receiving from God. And that's why obedience is so important. Obedience is so important because there's a direct link between obeying God and receiving from God. What did God say? God said, hey, he said, don't depart from Jerusalem. And what's going to happen? If you stay put in Jerusalem not very long from now, I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit upon you and you're going to receive that power, that baptism of the Holy Spirit. That baptism of the Holy Spirit, he said there, It was linked to them waiting in Jerusalem. You see Abraham, God said, Abraham, I want you to leave your family and I want you to go to a land that I will show you. And there is where I'm going to make you a great nation. See, the promise of God was linked to Abraham's obedience to God. The call of Peter. Jesus walks by and says, Peter, come follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. What does Peter do? He left all and follow him. Listen, God wasn't going to make him a fisher of men just as a fisher of men. There was that command. There was that calling. It required that obedience. See, God is in the business of molding and shaping lives. All he requires from us to do what he wants to do is obedience. And you want to see the promises of God come to pass in your life? And everything that he's put in your heart. And listen, it is amazing. One of the most awesome things is to see God put things in your heart. The Bible says he gives you the desires of your heart. He stirs things up in there, and sometimes they're just amazing things, and you can have all of these great desires to do a great work for God. And listen, often God has every intention of fulfilling those things, but it is linked to our obedience and our obedience alone. It's not linked to how good you are or how talented you are it's linked to our obedience and if you obey him he'll bring to pass every promise that he's brought into your life he just requires obedience see i think often we want to receive what god has i don't know about you but i don't think there's one person in here who's like oh well you know god wants to do great things for me like i think i'll pass on that (laughs) and if you are like come talk to me after like you know like pray pray for your soul (laughs) then we all want everything that god wants to bring into our lives we can want and often we want to receive what god has for us but listen but we don't want to do what god says we want to receive all the blessings but we don't want to do what he says we don't want to obey and obedience listen obedience is pretty much black and white Can you imagine here, Jesus is telling the disciples, he's saying, hey, he's saying, don't depart, wait for the promise of the Father, and then what he said, can you imagine if some of them would have left? Can you imagine if Peter would have said, okay, you know what, guys, like, we got a little bit of time, I don't know how long, but we probably got a little bit of time, you know, Jesus likes to come on his own timetable, so, why don't I just go, you guys want to do a little fishing trip, like, just get a little R&R, you know, get ready for this promise of the Father, like, we do a little, can you imagine they would have missed out. See, and I think a lot of times the danger is is we can start looking for loopholes when it comes to obeying God. Oh, man, and we can be good at it, right? And the reason we look for loopholes is because we still want to obey God. It's not that we want to disobey. We want to obey God. And we want to receive what God has, but we start looking for these loopholes because we still kind of want to do our own thing, we can become so good at looking for loopholes it's like well is it really disobedience like I mean I mean not really technically you know there's this little gray area here you know and we can become masters at that but listen loopholes are dangerous loopholes if you think about it loopholes caused Eve to sin in the garden she was there. She knew that God had told her a very specific command. Don't eat the fruit in the day you eat of it. This is what's going to happen. You're going to die. And what did Satan do? Satan came along and said, did God really say that? <laughs> Are you sure you have it right? He began to cast doubt on what God said. And see, what Satan did in the garden is he convinced Eve that disobedience has no effect. Not only that, but he made it look appealing. He made it look so appealing to her. What did he say? He said, hey, he said it's going to be the best thing ever. You're going to have knowledge. You're going to be wise like God. See, God's actually trying to keep you from going to another level. And she saw it. She saw that it was appealing. And she's like, you know what? It's okay. I'm just going to take a bite. And then she gave to her husband because sin loves company. And they both fell. Satan will often try and make disobedience seemed like a good idea, and he's very good at that. He'll show you and be like, oh man, you know what? Like, I know God said this, but just think about it. If you go this opposite direction, like, oh man, think of everything that God can do, you know? Sometimes you can feel like, man, I, I know I have a call of God on my life, but, you know, maybe my calling right now is to go do something else. There's always consequences to disobedience. There's always an effect of disobedience that it has on our lives. And it's interesting because why was Jesus having them wait? Think about this. Jesus tells them, he says, hey, he says, I'm ready to go, guys. He says, I'm out. (laughs) He says, today's my last day. Peace. He says, but stay put. Don't depart from Jerusalem. Wait for the promise of the Father. Why was he having them wait? Man, waiting on God is something we all go through at times, and I don't know about you guys, but I struggle with waiting for God. It's hard when God says wait, and you're like, "But God, I'm ready. I'm just, you know, Lord, I'm, I'm I'm your guy. Like, send me." And God's like, "I will, but just wait for a little bit." And it can be so hard to wait for the Lord. But one of the reasons why God makes us wait, and there's a few that we see in this text. One of the reasons God makes us wait is because we're not yet complete. Listen, the disciples had experience. You remember when Jesus during the gospels he sent them and he said what? He empowered them and he said, Go out, he said, and, and go on I mean, he sent them on a little mission trip. They came back, they saw God use him to heal, they saw God use them to cast out demons. There was tremendous excitement. They had experience seeing God work and being used by God. They had the experience, they had gone through a personal mentorship with Jesus. They were with him after the resurrection. Man, some of them had learned to pray directly from Jesus. They, it, on the surface, you would look at it and say, oh man, these guys are ready. <laughs> Three years of that, they, these guys are ready to be used. And what did Jesus say? He said, you're not ready yet. He said, in spite of all those things, he said, there's one thing that you still need, and that's the power of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. See, and I think sometimes God waits because he is working to complete us. There's characteristics that he still wants to bring into your life. There's heart surgery that he's doing and he's not done yet. He still has you on that, on that uh, gurney table and he's still working and he's still working. And if he lets you out now, you're going to go out there with an open heart. He's still working on you. James chapter 1 verse 2 through 4 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It's interesting. One of the reasons we go through trials is what? It's God molding and shaping our lives. See, God is in the business of, of molding and shaping and preparing and equipping. He will not send you or me out into the world to fulfill his purpose without making sure that we are equipped, always. I think sometimes it's one thing that he's waiting on. It's just one thing, one final characteristic that he's waiting on, and he's just like, okay, I'm just waiting for this one thing. Sometimes it's those finishing touches, right? You're 90% ready, 95% ready, and now he's just going through, and it's like that finishing touch that he's just putting. Kind of like when you're doing a painting, right? And you paint it, and then you go through and you do what? Finishing touches. You're detailing your car. What do you do? You get it all clean, and then you go through, and just like those little fine details, those finishing touches. A lot of times, that's what God's doing. He's doing those finishing touches on our lives. And he has us wait because he's working to complete us. And this is so important. Listen, he doesn't want us perfect. He wants us complete. And there's a huge difference because being perfect means that you leave and you're never going to make another mistake. But being perfect means that you're never going to mess up, that you're never going to fail, that you're never going to make a mistake, that you're never going to make an error. That's not what he's talking about. See, God wants to make you complete, meaning he wants to make sure that you have all of the characteristics, all of the character traits that you need to be able to be successful in his calling. There's a difference. He's not trying to make you perfect, and then all of a sudden, okay, now you're ready to use. He wants to make sure you have, man, you're going to need endurance for your calling. So I'm going to use this trial in your life to develop that endurance. Now, you're going to need a lot of faith in your life for your calling. So I'm going to use this trial to strengthen your faith. See, he's working on your character. He's completing you. He's not making you perfect. He's completing you. Because God knows the future and he knows exactly how we need to be to be able to have longevity in serving him. See, ministry is every We talk about this, right? Ministry is for everybody. It's wherever God has called you, wherever God has placed you, however God wants you to use. The Great Commission was not just for the apostles. The Great Commission is for all of us. It's for all of us. But the great commission, listen, it requires a great equipping. Another reason God has us wait often is timing. Man, timing is so important to God. See, a lot of times we operate on time, right? We look at things and we're like, okay, a year from now, six months from now, three months from now, three weeks from now, right? Well, God doesn't look at things based on time. He operates outside of time. But he does look at things based on timing. And it's very interesting because in 10 days from where they were at would be the feast of Pentecost. And listen, he could have poured out his spirit at any time. He could have been leaving this last thing and said, hey, guys, you know what? Before I go, Holy Spirit's coming. But he chose not to. He wanted to wait until the day of Pentecost, which would be 10 days from this point here. And the day of Pentecost, This in Pentecost was a, was, what the, was a Greek name. It was what, how the Greeks would refer to the Jewish, what's called the Feast of Weeks. There was many different feasts in the Bible, and I was thinking about that this morning. I'm like, you know what? That's pretty cool that here God gave feasts for the people. Like, hey, you get busy with life. You get busy with work. You get busy with all your priorities. So I'm going to make sure that you have these designated feasts where you can just enjoy and remember the goodness of God and what he's done in your life. Can you imagine that? And one of the feasts that was coming up was called the Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of Harvest. And it was one of the feasts that God had commanded Israel to observe, and it was 50 days after the Passover. There's a lot of symbolism as to why God chose to pour out the Holy Spirit on the Feast of Weeks, but we'll get to that when we get into chapter 2 of the book of Acts. But the most amazing thing is that during this feast, Jews from all over the world would be gathered in Jerusalem. Passover and the Feast of Weeks, those were two of the feasts that they just made it a point. You're going to try and get there to Jerusalem to be able to celebrate those feasts there in, in in, in the city where God chose to make a name for himself. In the city of Jerusalem. Jews would be there from all over the world, and it's very interesting because God's purpose, man, what a great opportunity to get the gospel out. Imagine how many Jews got saved during that feast and then went back and took the gospel to where they were. Listen, can you imagine if Jesus would have not poured out his spirit, if Jesus would have chose a different time to pour out his spirit? See, timing matters with God. There's a reason why sometimes God has us wait for different things. And often it's because God wants to do a greater work than we think. Now, we're focused sometimes. Our vision is so small. And we can think, we're like, man, I have the biggest vision in the world. Well, I mean, I got a vision for all these things. You know, man, God really found a treasure in me. We can think like that. And yet God, the Bible says, one of the things I love the most, the Bible says he's able to do more than we ask and he's able to do more than we want, than we think, than we imagine. He's able to do more than that, man. God is wanting to do things in your life that haven't even co- crossed your mind, that haven't even come into your thoughts that you haven't even thought about. God is wanting to do those things. See, God often waits because he is wanting to do more than what we think. And that's why trusting God is so important, because me and you, we don't know the future. We don't know the future. We don't know what God is wanting to do, but God does. And that's why he just calls us to obey and to trust, because when we obey and we trust, we often find, man, I'm sure the disciples were thinking, Jesus, we're ready. Send us out now. Like, why are you gonna wait ten days? Do you know how many people are gonna, you know, die without the Lord in these ten days? But God had his perfect timing. And he just called them to obey and to wait. I think of this, uh, this story, and it's just been a story that for me, has I've been thinking about a lot and reflecting on a lot, and it's the story of the man in the Bible, and it's a parable Jesus told. And Jesus told the story of a man who was doing very well financially, he was doing so well with all of his crops, that the Bible says that he said to himself, he said, you know what, he said, the barns that I have to hold all my stuff, he said, is too small. He said, so I'm going to tear those barns down, and I'm going to build bigger barns so I can have more possessions, so I can have more stuff, so I can stockpile more wealth. And Jesus said that that man, he didn't know that that very same night his life was going to be required of him, just like that. He was going to go into eternity. And when he entered into eternity, listen, he wasn't going to take any of his things with him. Do you and me know that? Man, we're not going to take our 401k with us into eternity. We're not going to take our possessions and our investments and our retirement funds and your crypto that's taking you. We're not going to take all that into eternity. It doesn't go. Your bank account does not transfer into eternity. You lose it. When you leave this life, you lose it. And the sad part is, is some people invest so much in trying to make their life Wealthy and better and great, and they miss out because they get to eternity, and their investment in this world was great, man. But their investment in things that would bring an eternal reward—eternal reward—is very little. Can you imagine that, man. People kill themselves to get promotions. People kill themselves to get. Well, people sacrifice and do all these things so they can have this extravagant lifestyle. People undercut, they do all sorts of things. Imagine getting to heaven and realizing that their investment was lopsided. The things that really mattered, the things that were going to bring an eternal reward, they didn't invest any time to on this earth. Chuck Smith said this quote, he said, One life and it will soon be passed, and only what you do for Christ will last. Think about that. That is why it's so important, listen, to wait on the Lord and to obey the Lord and not focus sometimes on material things. Not focus sometimes on the things of this earth, the temporary all oh, that's great. I'm not saying don't do that. Like, don't go here and drain your 401k and give it to the missionary. Like, pray about your decisions. Be wise. Be financially wise. Be a good steward. But don't live for those things. Man, live to please and obey God. See, he was having them wait. Why? Because he wanted to do a greater work than what they thought. But they didn't see it at that time. Man, they couldn't see 10 days in the future. They didn't see everything that was going to take place. But God did, and he wanted them to wait for his timing. Not only that, listen, they needed power. Man, they needed power. Jesus did not want to send them out not equipped. They needed power, and it's the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is something that you and me have to work hard to never forget. So never forget, because we need power too. And the power, this is the, one of the most heaviest things that's said in the Bible, and it's this, it's that the power of the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential, and that it is necessary, and that it is so, so, so important that Jesus did not want his disciples going without it. Think about that. Jesus didn't say, hey, go, and then, you know, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and, you know, at some point and you'll be okay. Like, But until it comes, like, you're good now. No, he said, no, don't go until you have it. What was he telling them? He was saying, listen, he was making a very simple statement to his disciples. He was saying, you need power. He was saying, you need power. He said, to do my will, to live for me, he said, you need power. And I believe Jesus is saying the same thing to the church today is that we need power. Man, we need power. If you were to remove the church from a given area, I want you to think what would happen. If you were to take all the churches out of certain areas in this country, you would see a dramatic change for the worse. But there's some areas, if you take all the churches out, you wouldn't see any change at all. What does that tell you? What does that tell you about the church? What does that tell you about the state of the church? That we're powerless. There's no impact there. There's no impact there at all. I think if this church were to close, or if all of the churches important were to close, listen, would our loss really be felt or would it not? Now, would people know the difference, or would they not? Are we a church that's having an impact, or are we not? I think one of the reasons why the the early church was so powerful, and why early Christians were so powerful, is found in what the world said of them, and it's when the Apostle Paul came to Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17. He comes to Thessalonica, and the second some Jews saw him that recognized him, they said what? They said, hey, they said, the men that have turned the world upside down have come here now, too. we got to do something about this problem. Think about that. They saw the Apostle Paul, they saw the men that were with him, and they said what? They said, these men, they said, we don't like them, (laughs) but they turned the world upside down. Man, they had an impact. They did something. They changed something places were different after they left they had power they were powerful see the early church had power and because they had that power of the spirit they had an impact wherever they go listen how would it be if we left our jobs tomorrow how would it be if we removed ourselves from wherever god has placed us in socially or your social situations would people really notice it would people feel it? Are we having an impact where we're at? Are we having an impact where we're at? It's interesting. A.W. Tozer said this. He said, if you take the Holy Spirit out of the early church, he said 90% of the work would stop. Man, basically, you take the Holy Spirit out of the, the church in the book of Acts, they would be, they would be ship at, ship at, dead in water. He said, but if you take the Holy Spirit out of the church today, he said, only 10% of the work would stop. Think about that. Now, you take the Holy Spirit out of the church today, most churches would go on and never notice the difference. A lot of the work that's being done today, and that's why you don't see an impact. Because a lot of the work that's done today, it's not being done in the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, there is no substitute for power and some of us, we look at our lives, and we—I'm man, very, for me personally, very, very aware of my flaws and my failures. And I look at my life, and I'm like, man, I need power. I need the power of the Holy Spirit. But not everyone thinks this way. Some of us, we can be very aware of our need for God to step in. But there is a large majority of the church. That, like what Jesus said when he wrote to the church in Revelation, he said very simply, he said, he said, you guys are, it's kind of a a harsh rebuke. He said, you guys are blind, you guys are miserable, you're wretched, but you don't even know it. And many times we can be like that. We're like, well, everything's great. Everything's good. And we don't know that we're missing that power of the Holy Spirit. And maybe you've never seen the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life maybe you've never experienced it maybe you were brought up in a church tradition that downplayed the power of the holy spirit and a lot of times churches do that because of the abuse of the gifts there's a lot of churches that abuse the gifts they misuse the gifts it's just all over the place and it's not done in order And so a lot of churches will downplay the Holy Spirit. They'll say, well, hey, the work of the Holy Spirit stopped with the early church. Man, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they stopped with the early church. It's called uh, being a cessationist. But it's very, very interesting because while places may downplay the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus hyped the power of the Holy Spirit up. He spent much of his last words saying what? You need to receive power from the Holy Spirit. So much so, disciples, that I don't want you to go anywhere else until you have that power. He said you need that power. Jesus didn't downplay the Holy Spirit. He hyped the Holy Spirit up. Listen, everything they were going to face from this moment forward, every trial, every temptation, every situation, every demon-possessed person, every ministry opportunity, every time that they would get up and speak in front of the synagogues and preach the gospel, what Jesus is saying is he's saying, hey, he's saying everything you're going to need from this moment forward, you're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit to do. He said, don't try and go do it without it. He said, you're going to need the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit in the book of John. Right after the Passover feast, when he was in the upper room with the disciples, he had this amazing time where he shared with them about the Holy Spirit, where he talked about the Holy Spirit all throughout his life. He talked about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a new thing. And then we get to this point and now it's almost like that final thing where he's like, hey, you've heard me talk about the Holy Spirit. You've heard me talk about the promise of the Father, but listen, it's not just talk, it is essential. And you're gonna need it. So don't depart from Jerusalem until I pour out my Spirit upon you. Man, we need power. According to Jesus, nothing makes up for not having the power of the Spirit. Nothing makes up for it. There's no substitute. For it. No experience, no knowledge, now maybe you have like a really good confidence and you're very confident in yourself and your abilities, you still need the power of the Holy Spirit, that's not going to substitute for it. No natural ability, no talent, there's people that go to seminary and spend 8 to 10 years becoming doctors and all these things in theology so that they can be better equipped to minister and they don't have the power of the Holy Spirit, listen, there is no substitute for For the power of the Holy Spirit. There is no substitute for the power of the Holy Spirit. We need that power. And I love it so much because Jesus emphasized the need for the power of the Spirit. And the need and how essential it was. But then like always how he does, he promised to meet that need. Notice the promise of power. Notice what he says. Verse 4 again, follow along. It says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. Man, uh, to wait for the promise of the Father. And what's that? That's the promise of the Holy Spirit's coming. And it's found in John chapter 14, verse 15 through 17 and verse 26. And it says this, I'm going to read it. It says, if you love me, keep my commandments. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and be, <clears throat> bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. The promise of the Father, listen, it's the promise of the Holy Spirit coming. Once Jesus departed, the Holy Spirit, the Father would send the Holy Spirit. And who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit, very simply, He's God. It's the third part of the Trinity. And like I said, the Holy Spirit is not a new thing. He is seen throughout the Bible, Genesis 1. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. You see all throughout the Old Testament examples where the Spirit of the Lord came upon men and women and empowered them to be used by God. You see that Jesus, when He was baptized in the Jordan River and He was coming out of the water, what happens is the Spirit descended upon Him like a dove. The Spirit of God. Not a new thing. And the result of the Holy Spirit being sent is what? It's, it's so much that He does. It's the work that He does. Now that's the result. See it's not the power that we're waiting for, it's the Holy Spirit that God wanted them to wait for. The result of the Holy Spirit and being led by the Spirit, Man, having the Holy Spirit teach you things, when you read the Word, the Spirit of God helps you to understand. The Bible says He's a Spirit of truth. He illuminates the Scriptures for us. He works through us. He moves through us. Now, maybe there's times where you've just felt, that you've kind of just felt like God was speaking to you, like the Holy Spirit was speaking to you to go talk to someone, to share with them the Gospel. That's the Holy Spirit working. The Holy Spirit was very active in the early church, and he wants to be active in your life. And understand this, the Holy Spirit, like we said, is not a mystical force, and it's not a magical power. It's a he, it's God. It's the third person of the Trinity. And when you study Scripture, you see that he is throughout the whole of Scripture. And here in the book of Acts, we see that he is poured out, and we see the effect of the coming of the Holy Spirit in the church. We see that effect. And my question to you is, are you being led and taught and helped and empowered by the Spirit this morning? Are you living a life, man? Is the Holy Spirit helping you, showing you how to pray? Is the Holy Spirit empowering you, giving you boldness? Is the Holy Spirit leading you? as the Holy Spirit working through you? Is he active in? In you, are you seeing God use the gifts of the Spirit? Are they being manifested in your life? Because listen, if not, you are settling for a lesser Christian experience than what God has for you. When we see, when we go through the Book of Acts, we're going to see that there was instances where someone would go and people would start getting saved and people would start getting baptized. And what the disciples at Jerusalem would say is they would start saying, you know what? There's a revival happening up there. We need to send someone to go pray and lay hands on them so they can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Think about that. The power of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit was essential. And I think many times I think we settle for a lesser Christian experience than really what God has. And that's that we have what? Man. The Bible says, he who believes in me, as the scripture has says, out of his heart will gush forth torrents of living water, rivers of living water, just that overflowing with Jesus and with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Notice what he says. He says, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not... Many days from now, the baptism is literally, it's, it's an immersion, it's an overwhelming. And he says, hey, he says, in the same way that when you were baptized and you were immersed in water. He said, in that same way, you're going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. He said, and it's when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in power. And I love it so much because Jesus describes what is going to take place. The Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a mysterious thing. It's not something where it's like, oh, well, like, what is it? No, it's, Jesus describes. He says, hey, he says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. But check this out. He says, you're going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Then watch. Verse 6. Therefore, when they had come together, so the disciples, in, 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 in typical disciple fashion, right, they were, you know, Jesus is like, man, you're, you're going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And they're like, awesome, God, that's great. Holy Spirit, cool, whatever. Um, you know, are you going to set up your kingdom now? Like, should we start preparing now? The disciples always never in tune with the Lord. And so they asked him in verse six, notice what it says. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times and seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. There are so many churches today that teach so many interesting things. They say when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you fall. You faint. (laughs) You get slain in the Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you just felt led to turn around. I'm not even kidding you. I've seen that happen before. I was in a church one time, and I was, I was super young in the Lord. I was in a church, and there was a concert going on, and some of the rappers that were doing the concert were a little bit Pentecostal, and they were like, you know, if the Lord leads you to, just turn around in a circle right now. I'm like, that's kind of weird, but, you know, like, I don't, I mean, you know. But I love it because Jesus is very, very specific. He says, hey, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, understand what happens, what it looks like. You receive power. He says, when the Holy Spirit baptizes you, he says, what happens is that you receive power. And I love it because it's the receiving of power, the power of the Holy Spirit. It cannot be earned by how much we read and pray. The power of the Holy Spirit cannot be earned by living a holy life. Should we do those things? Absolutely. Do those things bring power into our lives? Absolutely. And it gives power to our words. It gives uh, power when we live a life of integrity. There's impact behind it. It's not just words. There's integrity there. But the power of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it is not earned and it is not worked for. Acts 2.38, Peter refers to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He refers to it as the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift. Jesus here, he doesn't say, hey, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to then start to work for power. No, he says when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to receive power. Listen, the power of the Holy Spirit, that power that Jesus said, is so essential and so needed and that they shouldn't do ministry without it, that power of the Holy Spirit, listen, it can only be received. It can only be received. And it's received when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And in its truest form, the power of the Holy Spirit, listen, it's not the holy tingles. The power of the Holy Spirit, it's not all of these other things. In its simplest form, the Holy Spirit, the, the power that the Holy Spirit gives you, its ability. I think sometimes we equate power with feeling, and there's so many people that are chasing spirits like, man, I just want to go somewhere where I can just feel the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, when you look at what the power of the Holy Spirit is, and that word for power, it literally, it means simply to be able, it means ability. when you receive power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, what God is giving you is he's giving you the ability that the Holy Spirit gives you to do what he's called you to do, to obey him, to fulfill the great commission. It gives you everything you need. It gives you that ability. The greatest blessing that you and me can experience is being able to rely on the Holy Spirit's help to live the Christian life. And to know that you and me, we don't have to fight for victory without the Holy Spirit. man. God has given you the helper, the Holy Spirit to help. That power of the Holy Spirit. And what is that purpose of power? Very simply notice verse 8 in closing. It says this. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Man, God said, you're going to need power. You need it. You need that power. And he promises to fulfill it. It's something that is received. It is not something that is earned. It's the ability that he gives us. And what is the purpose of that power? So man, that you can go, and that you can be a witness for Christ. And more and more, I just... I'm realizing in my own life a lot of things that I thought mattered don't matter. A lot of things that I thought were important are not important. The most important thing, the thing that the greatest cause, the thing that we can all that we should all fight for, the greatest of all fights, the greatest of all causes to devote our life for is what? It's the Great Commission. It's saving souls. Man, think about it. To save a soul from hell. And yet so many people put off serving God because they're like, well, I don't, you know, I don't want people to know I'm a Christian here because you know, if they know I'm a Christian here, you know, it'll it'll damage my opportunity to move forward and get that paycheck I've been wanting. Who cares? Who cares about your paycheck? Who cares? You're not going to take it into eternity. Man, but to save a soul from hell? And to be able to impact a life for Christ, to be able to help someone, and to be able to t- t- help someone who is going to help others save souls. I think so many times we have our, our values so mixed up. But we need power. Let's pray.